Oh god, what are we doing? Yes, it's all the best pictures! Hello, my name's Simon. Welcome to All the Best Pictures, the podcast where we torturously watch all the best picture winners from the start. And boy, oh boy, Dave, are you just happy to be here tonight? Do you know what I keep telling myself, Sam? I keep telling myself that All Quiet on the Western Front was good enough, as good as, good as two really good best picture winners. Okay. And, and therefore, it's justified in my mind that this is like a total... Uh, what's the word? Um, a really shite film. A really shite, boring, long, poorly thought out, racist film. <laughs> Don't forget the racism that's just Oh, ripping. you can't forget the racism because this oh. film won't let you forget it. Oh dear. Oh dearie dear. So we watched... Mm, I we can't watched wait for you to pronounce this. It's We watched 1931's Cimarron, which is an epic... Pre-code Western starring Richard Dix, Irene Dunn, directed by Wesley Ruggles. And this is the third um, uh, film to win the... Uh, it's the fourth the, film to win Best Picture. Oh, excuse me. I forgot about Wings. It's the fourth film to win the Best Picture of the Oscars in nineteen. Of course, you were going to say it's the third film with sound to win the Best Picture, which is t- a totally fair comment. Thank you, obviously. Dave. That's a very, that's a very supportive uh, and totally made-up thing to, uh, my, my ignorance so we watched Cimarron we watched this film and you know I just feel like we're on a winning we're on a winning ticket here because we've watched a movie that is widely regarded as the worst Oscar winner in history and I just feel like the, the audiences are going to flood in the advertisers are going to flood in as we as we talk about this just pretty fucking unremarkable kind of boring full of racism movie you know know what it is i like it because it's a remarkable introduction to this this um not even genre because there are a few westerns in the 90s um and 2000s (laughs) that won best picture which we'll get into i'm sure um but the epic movie this is an epic uh which is a format i'm not it's not a genre exactly but it's a format um Mm -hmm. that is really popular in novels, especially American novels, especially American novels from sort of 1880 to about 1920, especially. Um, and it's this long, like, decade-spanning story, which, from a novel point of view, gives you this ability to tell a story, a really deep story about someone's entire life, which is cool, obviously. Uh, yeah. And then you just try and transfer it into a movie, and they don't give up on this epic format. I would say even the Sergio Leone movies, um, like Once Upon a Time in America and um, Once Upon a Time in the West, like are epics. And we kind of abandoned that premise after that, I think. You know, the scale of some of these movies, I mean, um, I think when we get to the 50s and the 60s, there's a couple, but like Cleopatra is the big example of like, it's that film where they had 15,000 extras on set every day and it's 14 hours long. Um and you just think, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? It is, and that, that and and that's where I like going into this. I I didn't know nothing about it. I never even heard of it, to be honest. And because we are watching all the best pictures from the start, it's like, 
I'm really going in with an open mind because it's it's a film from 1931, you know, and how good could it how good could it possibly be? And and this is where I think, like, I really enjoy the idea of watching a movie like this because um I, I want to be transported back just like we have with the movies before this and just like when you watch any kind of older movie you really get like a sensibility of the time and the epic is such a big part of this type of cinema in this era and the problem i guess is that the sensibility of the time is kind of trashy and 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 really like not that interesting <laughs> compared to what we're after now as as as, as a, a modern great audience film. I think at its core, I think that's the bigger problem. Let's table the racism because that's like the final 40-minute segment of this podcast. <laughs> um, let's table the length because I think it's only two hours long, two hours and th- two minutes, I think. It's not like... Yeah, the length was fine, actually. It's long. It? It's long for this era, and it, but it's not long like... A, or every film now is fucking two and a half hours long. I know. Unless it's made by Marvel, in which case it's four four hours long, and it's just it's part not Scorsese fucking series. More, it's not know, the Irish Scorsese, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, we can complain about the length, and I think this movie does feel long because of the way that it's constructed. But its biggest problem is that it's sort of it feels really underwritten. So um, our main character, played by um, Richard Dix, is called uh, Richard Dix. Uh, Yancey Cravat. Yes, Yancey um, Cravat. And it's kind Yancy. of his story. Yancey. Um, it's kind of his story, until it isn't. Um, but it's kind of his story, and it's kind of like a... On the face of it, I think this is a story about a really interesting time in America's history, uh, the Oklahoma land rush, which is just a history podcast for a second. A really fascinating period where millions of acres of land that they <coughs> had been appropriated from um, <laughs> indigenous people. Stolen. Illegally. Totally stolen. Um, but, like, so they'd... Basically, the government said, there's all this new land in this territory, so not a state, a territory of Oklahoma. Um, and the, the, the first... I think the best scene of the movie is the very first scene. Um, and 50,000 people gathered um, at the start point of this fucking land... Literal land grab, which is insane, um, to race to get there's about twelve thousand plots of land available i think um and this really happened and i think this is the best scene in the movie and the inspiration for making it is like the fucking artillery fires and then they're off on their horses and it's all these buggies and it's such a cool shot it's probably like 40 percent of the entire budget of this film it's really cool because then it's just like there's just land sam imagine right we're millennials we'll never own land you own a house but for now um but like imagine there's just land and you can just have it it's just free because the government wants you to go and farm and what happened was there were towns where in the morning on whatever day it was in 1889 no one lived there and by nightfall there were 10,000 people living there they'd laid out the streets they'd staked the plots two weeks later there were churches and schools and bars like even today that would be an insane feat and, and I think, and what you... happened is they take this, take this, and they make a really boring as fuck movie about it. Well, this is the problem. This is the problem because we are again history cast is going to last a lot longer than five seconds. We are going to dial in for this just for a couple minutes because, like, the we, we're both we like reading about history. We're history nerds, and like, this is amazing. This is an amazing idea 
for a movie because this period of of American history late on as well like this is in 1889 we are not talking about the early days of the west the west has been kind of done in a lot of ways we really we're really talking about a a period where you know uh, the the exploration of of the world is coming to an end and we're not really able to go the frontier you know is is really depleting and 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 yet we get this period of history fascinating and it, it's it, it's my utter frustration in a lot of ways and there is a 1960 remake we could go to if we really want to to, to see if this is any better but like they managed to Seemingly make the 60 remake is even worse i suspect i, I suspect but, the book's probably all right like you got two movies made you know but, like but, the source but material managed... must at least be entertaining the woman yeah. who wrote it won a Pulitzer Prize for a different book but still like obviously but it, but but this is the problem is they managed to make this great concept and this great opening with 5000 extras and and people charging across across the hinterland like looking for their future and to stay down and to steal it from the American and Native Americans because that's what we're doing like the whole Indian Exclusion Act I mean, terrible just crazy and they managed to make it really fucking boring they, they, they managed to suck all of the life out of this great concept and it's and it's and it's, it's, and it's, it's straight away as well Sam to talk about that straight away scene. because the scene the, the big scene your money shot you come to your money shot in the first fucking minute. Of oh, this film. Jesus! All right, yeah. And, and I'm gonna, I mean it because it's the best. It's a scene family in the movie. podcast. You've got all of these extras. You've got all of these horses, hundreds of horses, hundreds of like horse-drawn carts and buggies, and and it's cool. It's 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 exciting. They're they're moving at pace. I imagine there were some deaths. It looks like somebody had to have died making this. Oh, you'd um, think so, wouldn't you? Um, and it's really cool, and we've got Richard Dix, who I think is all right. Actually, I, I quite enjoyed his performance. It's a yep. shame he got, didn't really have much to do, but like I watch a Richard Dix, like you know, good western. And then the movie immediately puts his foot on the fucking brake pedal and hand puts the handbrake on as well. Uh, when we have this weird relationship with Dixie Lee, who is a character introduced seemingly so that they could have a second female character in this movie. <laughs> Yeah. A third one, I guess, after the mother-in-law, because she falls off a horse and steals his plot of land from him, and it's like, right, okay, I guess we're that's fine. You're a good guy. It's not a problem. We're just that's okay, and and that's over. That whole Oklahoma land rush thing is over, and it's like, oh, so we're watching a movie about someone who didn't take part in the Oklahoma <laughs> land rush. You're telling a story about the Oklahoma land rush through the eyes of somebody who actively did not participate in it. <laughs> Who who had to who had to go later on into this already massive sprawling you know archaeo uh, pictures set in, in Encino, and you know try and find some kind of living which which he he does manage to do like you're exactly right like we just completely miss I think the whole point of the film which is like give us give us what we're asking for which is what's it like building you know let us play the Red Dead Redemption. Um, uh, a plot at the end of the second one where you have to build the house and da da da. Like, th- th- there's just so much we could have had, and instead, what we get is um, Richard Dix, who again, I think you're right. He's doing. He's he's very very charismatic, and he is 
bringing a lot of energy that to, to this role that I think without would be like we'd be even more bored than we possibly were. <laughs> but it's how it's it's actually what he's having to do just kind of isn't that interesting you know him him strolling no, into no, town it's interesting we just don't get to see the interesting bits of it so this yeah. guy who's a lawyer and a newspaper man he moves to this new town he can do everything kids. dave this is right? this is the he's a big swinging dick he's a fucking ace shot um he kills two outlaws in this movie and the movie couldn't be less interested in that uh one of them is his mate like and he starts this newspaper and he's Towards the end of the movie, he's raving about um, indigenous rights, and it's that's, that's interesting. And then, and then he at the end of the movie, he becomes an oil man, and again. But the movie, literally, a lot of this happens off screen, and you're like, "No, that's your movie. That is your movie. Yeah. Is the lawman? The man moves to the wild west, and he is the law. That's they've made thousands of these movies, and they all work because that's interesting. And in this movie, they said, "Nah." It's fine. The genre will develop in the next thirty years. We don't need to actually do anything good in this movie. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we could make it really exciting, but you know, we'll probably get the Oscar anyway, and then that'll just westerns will just be streaming out Oscars until shit. Nineteen ninety with Dancers Wolves. Oh crap! What have we done? Like there is, there is just you're yeah, you're right. There's there's no real there's no real impetus to this, and I think all of the big picture stuff that we're talking about, all of the the big ideas that we're ex- interested in exploring. The movie's like, okay, so Oklahoma Land Rush, there we go, that's cool, but we're not going to talk about that and move on. Setting up a new um, uh, a newspaper in a western town. Like, we're going to look at it a little bit, but mm, not really. Like, even even in how... Even a woman whose husband is an adventurous type and, and he's yes. a wanderer and he keeps leaving for years, decades at a time... And the movie's like, well, it's fine. We're going to have two scenes uh, with her and someone else and we're going to have moved on with our lives. And again, it's like, well, you, you, what you did was you narrowed in on an interesting... I would watch that movie again. Like, it's been done a thousand times, but because it works, I would watch that movie, learn a bit about these kids. Like, maybe like, well, why isn't Dad here? Does he not love us? Is he just... I know men were pieces of shit forever, but specifically and especially at this time period. Um... And maybe we could explore that and we could have some narrative and the mother-in-law could be involved and maybe it's her struggling to carry on in this town. But it's like, oh, it's no, we're just dragging our heels until the hero reappears to do nothing. Well, until Richard Dix appears to come in and go, ha-ha, I'm back, family. There's a, and... there's a loose woman who needs to be got off at trial. Or or whatever it is that he comes in and does. And I think, I think it's... It, it, the the film almost struggles. We should we should get into the plot in a second, but the, and and some of the things we did like, but the film struggles. I think because of the weight of the performance in some ways, and also because as you say, they're not really interested in exploring any of the things that are left on the screen. Like, um, Irene Dunn, I think does a really really good job of basically holding the movie together as as um, uh, Sabra. Kravit, you know, Yancy's wife, and and how, like, the real core of it is that she's left to pick up the pieces of this guy's adventuring life. Like, he 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 wants to leave um, Oklahoma almost straight away. He says, "I've never lived any anywhere more than five years," and he felt constrained by living 
where they did before. And, well, no, and essentially, like, well, this guy's a fucking deadbeat. This is the thing, isn't it? This is this is the thing is that this guy is a is a loser, and in any other movie, or maybe in modern movies, and this is where I think the modern sensibility comes in, is like we'd be saying, you you're just going to abandon your family in the not even like in again a, you know they're again in the wild west effectively, and you're going and you're just going to say, good luck to you, I'm off to do something else, I might die. You, know, you might never hear me again. Hear from me again. You know, I'm gonna. I'll send money home, maybe. And the movie's never like he's a loser, isn't he? It's always very triumphant, and they literally build a statue to him at the end. You know, what it is, is is it's like I said, I was saying before, it's based on one of these books that's trying to capture the the American mindset, I think, and certainly the American mindset in this kind of like jingoistic expansionist kind of like you know rough adventuring every man the sort of you know um the last stand at the alamo type thing and all of the mm-hmm. you know lewis and clark all of these all of these big personalities that america lionizes and fetishizes because they've only existed for 200 years um so haven't truly learned to despise themselves yet um like a proper country um, and so much of america <laughs> again there from this time well they're certainly doing enough they're certainly going through their um british empire phase yeah um but so much of it lionizes this kind of like this this um independent and uh, able man. and man. moralistic man but this attitude of you know it's it's the whole thing about this why westerns are and to some some extent remain such a popular format is because there is something kind of like romantic and engaging and exciting about these men like the man with no name from the dollars trilogy like just roving around the west helping people and like getting in gunfights and drinking whiskey and chatting to bawdy incredibly well-fed prostitutes you know <laughs> like all of the things that and it's and it's so baked in and this movie is and i I, don't, I haven't read the book i did think about it but it's, i watched this two days ago so no time um but it's trying to capture that and, and i don't think Maybe it's because film is in its infancy in some respects. I mean, obviously a lot of respects. Uh, and maybe this is just a bad, badly made film or badly written film. But it doesn't bring that to life because it's highlighting the wrong things. He's in church giving this moralistic speech about, you know, how God's great and he knows the whole Bible. And then it closes the speech by shooting someone dead. And it's like, what is the tone here? Yeah, what is the um, tone here? You know, it's the sort of thing that would be, like I said much more our friend John Wayne, uh, much more sort of developed and solidified in, in the later movies, you know, that John Wayne's famous for, you know, the 30, yeah. 40 years he was making Westerns. And it's just not quite there. So this character, to me, in a modern sense, this character comes against he, um He is all of these things. He is charismatic and he's able and he's intelligent and he wants to go and have adventures and discover new things. And But he's also kind of an asshole. Like he's horrible to his wife and his kids. Um, it's kind of carefully hinted he's having an affair with Dixie Lee because why else is she in the movie? Um, and then he fucks off to be an oil man and and just dies and they haven't heard from him in twenty years or something. And it's like, it is. It's and how am I supposed like to root years. for this guy? How am I supposed to care what ditch this guy ends up in? The literal ditch, of course, that we see filled with oil. But why? Why? Why do I care? Who? Care, who could care? Yeah. Let's um let's 
because we, we could just rail on this all for the next 40 minutes. But let's talk about some of the things that, that, that we enjoy because there there is actually a lot in this that is really like again Richard Dix's performance is really I think charismatic it's really powerful and it and it manages to I think just drag the movie along with it even when he's doing some really insane shit and I kind of I, I kind of do like the almost like superhero us of this guy he can do everything you know he think he's He's a fast shooter. He's a fast talker. You know, he knows how to handle situations. He can he can literally preach. You know, he's like the social um, kind of he's like a social icon in a lot of ways. You know, and I really I did like that approach. I liked how they tried to to kind of give him almost this this um, at the at the start of the movie. He comes in and he's bold and brash and it's, and it's really compelling, I think. It's really compelling. You've already mentioned it, but one of the great things that runs through the start of the movie is this uh, kind of rivalry or, or whatever with the the outlaw the kid. Uh, guy. No, not the, the kid. Outlaw? No, not not him. Who is a, a pointless character? We'll come to in a second. Uh, Stanley Fields as Lon Yontis. I mean, in fairness, and again, I don't mean to keep waiting on this movie, but I'm going to continue to do so. Again, interesting character. It would be really great if we had a little bit of friction, but he's killed outright within about seven. Well, or this eight is my point. Introduced. Th- this is. We my don't point. get any of that pathos or any of that like. The the, the tension the, the the tension that's this is the, the, right. I'm trying to be positive. The, the the bit that I like was the tension that ran through this. That and it's and it's old fashioned and it's you know it's classic kind of western. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. You know, uh, type of stuff. And it's like all the, as that's happening, it's really compelling. And I'm like, wow, this guy is gonna, you know, he's gonna do something, isn't he? He's gonna go after his wife. He's gonna do something to get revenge because, because of his social stature, because of his ability to, to, you know, run the town and and like something's gonna happen. And then nothing. We get this pretty good preaching scene, I think. You know, where he kind of ad libs his way through being a. a, a a, a churchman and then literally on the pulpit almost he shoots the guy dead it's not even like a great dramatic standoff scene it's literally just Doof. and then you know take him away boys get get him to the undertakers and 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 it's like well okay you just killed the one good thing so far about your movie you've destroyed all the tension that's there which is a which is a great thing that to have in, in a film you know and we're kind of left going, so what are we doing again? Like, why are we doing this? And and we're back to the minutia of him running a paper and, you know. We are and we aren't because it never digs, it never really digs into any of the things that we're doing. So the paper is interesting. I'm interested. I'm interested in, give me the civil ordinances. Give me them yeah, affecting nerds. change by, we're going to publish yeah. about how the mayor's corrupt and then someone else is going to be mayor and obviously it'll be Yancey because he's the most precious baby um we're gonna have a you know and, and politicizing it and and maybe a bit about pay yeah you know, i love a newspaper movie but we don't really interested in doing that they just have a paper they are successful that's that um yeah and meanwhile um just to derail your positive conversation and there were some things i liked uh, towards the end of this movie which we'll get into <laughs> 
um, let's address the racism and the ableism, which this movie could not find more hilarious. Well, let me start with the 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 the, the stuttering, which is we, we've seen this in other films, haven't we? Um, of of the era and it's Broadway melody. That, as Broadway well. Melody was a big yeah, like. Oh, he stutters! Isn't that hilarious? It, it it just seems to be a joke that never didn't get funny. You know, like all the way through, even the pro- up to the nineties. You know, kind of Ace Ventura style probably has that type of stuff in it, where you just like, oh, we is this? It's just really just still a joke, but it's not even like we're we're laughing at the people who are laughing at the person with the stutter. Even a comedy, it's not supposed. To, it's not trying to be funny. But they have this guy who's stuttering, and it's obviously for levity. It's obviously because it's funny. Yeah, and 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 it, and it makes all because and because literally all the characters, even the even the redeemable, uh, you know, the, the the Irene Dunn's character who's supposed to be the moral core of the movie, even she is literally just laughing and not even like he's doing anything funny. He just walks in, does his stutter, and says, you know, the printing press is ready. And they're literally like, oh, you, <laughs> like, fuck it. And so all the way through, you're just like, well, you, you're just horrible. You guys are just horrible. Stop teasing this man. Like, he can't help it. You know, and it, and, it, and it, you're just like, great stuff. This is really good. But again, I suppose this was peak humor in 1931. And probably, you know, we're getting off lightly in terms of any ableism that might be... <laughs> Well, don't worry, though, because we get a double spoonful of racism. Um, mm. And I want to talk about this a little. And obviously, as usual, trigger warning here. You may have noticed Sam and I are the whitest people in the world. We're aware. It's fine. Um, Especially with our new lights. <laughs> exactly. This is not the beginning or the end of this conversation. I just think, how can we not talk about the way this movie treats race? And how can we not talk about... Because I think the bigger issue is I don't think this movie, hear me out, is racist as much as this was an acceptable thing to do. This was an acceptable way to portray African-Americans in film at this time and remained popular for many years. But this houseboy, that's the term term that's used, um, Isaiah, played by Eugene Jackson. I'm glad he got a paycheck, but this is is a caricature of, you know, um, a person of colour who is in a servant servile position um, who yeah. like canonically this movie takes place in 1889 whose parents were born as slaves and like and he, again it's played for laughs i think in this movie that it's funny and oh isn't he precocious and especially when he gets dressed up to go to church later and they're like oh my god how dare you dress as a white man is literally the thing that's, that people are saying and i guess on the one hand that's sort of fine because it's portraying a historic period and I think it's important to not shy away from the prejudices that existed in that period. Yeah. You know, to the extent that it serves the plot, but also this this movie in 1931 and the people who made this movie are all slapping their knees. Isn't it hilarious that this little black kid is acting this way? Yeah. And it's every trope, isn't it? He's a shoe shine. He... He's a klutz. He falls out of the light fitting. He he, he grins at water, the sight of watermelons. I mean, like for fuck's sake! I mean, come on, guys. And and no, I no, think it's an- Yancey points them out. Oh, this will be yeah. a treat for you. There's some watermelons over there, kid. And you're like, oh god. 
I mean, honestly. And he also gets just the most disregarded death in the whole movie where he's shot and killed and then he's 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 like you know shot from the floor shot from the feet of our main character in terms of the level because he's on like a walkway and he's reaching out and they just walk past him no no one's like what happened to Isaiah didn't he run out to try and save my son and I, I oh who cares anyway you know we do uh, get a scene later. Jeopardy's on. Let's just sit down and watch scene. that. We're upset. It's um, so tokenistic. It's it's, and, it's difficult, and it, it's again some of it to a certain extent handled like if this movie was made today. Um, it would again be four hours long, or it'd be a ten-part miniseries. Um, and, but and, I and, think it would just be portrayed in a. It's fine to have this character Isaiah as a character. But it's not fine to have Isaiah exhibiting all the negative stereotypes which exist about about um, this what's the word this 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 ethnic minority in America, in America especially. And I mean, I guess we're expecting a lot from a 1931 movie. We're 25 years away from the civil rights movement. You know, I mean, this is the thing. This is my point: is that we, you know, like you know, slavery ended within a lifetime. Of, of this yeah. of this movie like people could be alive and still pretty healthy uh-huh. and 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 slavery would st- would still be a thing so i think i think there and is maybe that it's thing. just maybe it's just really glaring because this is the first movie i think this is the first movie i've seen from the third from this era that features prominently a black character i think um yeah yeah because, by because obviously mission, i've only seen the white guy movies i know Exactly, like exactly. the ones we've done, and the Mummy, and Metropolis, and you know all the white guy movies. I've just seen them. Yeah, um, it's a it's a problem, isn't it? I mean, it makes we me do, afraid we... to watch more thirties movies. You know, it in a way to be honest, because I just think that it's it's something that's aged really poorly in it. And again, it's the biggest problem is how hilarious the filmmakers think it is, and it's like, yeah, because look at look Jesus. at um, Tarantino movie. Uh, that's oh, I can't remember the name with with Django, uh, yeah, Django and Chain. Like, there's a fucking you know, that movie is rough. <laughs> that, that, that movie is a, it, it's offensive and it's and it's meant to be because it's it's but that's the point, isn't it? The period. highlighting how and it's horrible. awful and it's awful and uncomfortable and it's you know in a lot of ways pretty unwatchable because of that. But that's the point and that's what they're trying to and and that's we're nowhere near that. We're no, nowhere near that, and and again, maybe that's because again, we're thirty years away from anything even remotely starting to happen in terms of people having the same civil rights. So, good stuff, it's movie. Though, because well done, civil rights is certainly a fact in this movie. Let's talk about well while we're on the the race while we're on the race segment. Um, <laughs> Have we got a jingle for that? Or what? Is uh, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, you want to get cancelled, Sam? We're already two white guys with a podcast on the internet. We're, we're this close. Um, I just think I'm not, we're not we're not saying so, it's the yay racism segment. We're saying hey, it's the racism segment. Right, we're downbeat about, about it, but I think we can still have a downbeat jingle. You know. Well, maybe we need to workshop that, Sam. I think we need to be really careful. <laughs> but the the other the other marginalised group of people that this this movie 
um, is concerned with, and not overly concerned with it, it's not like a huge thing, is the Asajj people, the, 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 the indigenous um, American people who, just to be clear, were not from this part of Oklahoma. That was just the most recent place they had been displaced to by oh, the Americans. Oh, that's nice. That's fresh. Yeah. Well, most, most of the indigenous... I was reading about this, and again, if these terms aren't the correct terms, this is just what I was reading on Wikipedia, and I'm not from America. But it's important to try and be using the right terms. And so, from what I understand, there were five settled tribes that America recognised as, you know, tribes. I'm sure that was tr- tr- the ones they hadn't massacred in in in, in earlier decades. Yeah, yeah. But most of them were on the sort of southeastern seaboard. Like that was that was where the highest. Um, uh, concentrations of indigenous peoples lived um so they'd already been displaced out west to places like oklahoma on big reservations um that the government then later repealed because they were like oh, all that land to all these indigenous people it wasn't people. enough um, it wasn't enough to move them we, this we movie portrays indigenous too. people in i think a fairly i'm not going to say positive way but it, certainly not in an overtly negative way it's um, sympathetic the, isn't it yeah, and and they're talking. It's a bit of a throwaway line. But we're talking in the paper, and it's a big thing about they're publishing an article disagreeing with the government and saying that um, native indigenous Americans should be given full citizenship and you know be equal members of society, and that's that's cool. That's, that's something that, and again, it's 1931, so it's not super recent at the time, but recent enough, and indigenous people to to this day um, are suffering in a place like America and Canada. So obviously we didn't fix shit, um, but when um, um, his wife, <laughs> Irene Dunn, no, Irene Sab- Dunn, Sabrat, Sabrat, it's a weird name, Sabrat, Irene Dunn, Dunn. So when Dunn is running for Congress, and it, that's a cool scene again, when she's running for Congress, and she says we're going to reprint the, the big one, you know, the, the, this is the article that said, uh, we support um, indigenous rights, uh, her son. And she's against it. Her son marries um, an indigenous person, like, and it's, and, and, it's somewhat and, and, supportive of that. And I, I don't know yeah. how much of that is. It it feels like they went out of their way to be inclusive well, in that, that way. Not again. Not two seconds. Hugely. Because hold on, because that 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 the, the implication is that the editorial that was published forty years or not forty years, but earlier, <laughs> is what helped achieve. The, the 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 civil rights for Native Americans like that's and 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 it comes of course from Yancey it comes from his 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 word white savior he's the, of course white oh god come <laughs> like but that's the implication isn't it I think that's really important because kind of the whole movie is then predicated on the fact that that it does run all the way through and they do talk it they do touch on it but like these guys are just the moral these are the these people are supposed to be the moral victors of the movie you know this family and 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 the main you know the main kind of male figure of the family as well and it's just i think it really shows the sensibilities of what people were looking for in 1931 that type of story and i think it's it, it it's almost like oh yeah okay we, we we're representing Native American people don't worry about everyone else because we're gonna fucking shit on them, but it's such a like um, patriarchal, like patronizing view of, there's, of what there's these... a that yeah, absolutely there's a patronizing view of anyone who isn't rich and white because also 
fucking class. We need a jingle for class. Um, <laughs> they're absolutely in this movie. This is all rich white people doing rich white people things. And this is something that I think this movie in particular is guilty of, that not every movie of this era is, in that this is a Western about the old West, about the Oklahoma land rush. And yes, I'm certain that fully four-fifths four of the people who got land in the Oklahoma land rush were corrupt and already wealthy. But this is one of these things, this is why stuff like this is so huge in the American psyche, is because it's this idea that people can come to America with nothing and make, and you know, and build something for themselves and make it pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But yeah. these people are already rich. This isn't the story about some plucky young man and his young family, like yeah. putting down roots and growing a reputation because they're because they're morally superior to the people around them, which is always the subtext. Um, it's not that; it's these people were already rich, and this guy was bored, so they moved to Oklahoma to start a paper, I mean, even though he'd already run a paper and has a law practice. But it's fine, and that that's one thing where I'm like, maybe we could have shown some poor people in this western. I'm- and that's not enough for him, is it? And that's not enough for him because he because when well, money doesn't he... exist in this movie. Money doesn't exist in this movie. No, it doesn't. It's a classic. It's just like an episode of fucking Friends. It is, and it's 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 not enough for him to achieve all this to 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 be the center, of, you know, the the father of the town, as it were, and 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 to be the proprietor of this newspaper and blah 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 blah. All of the things that he wants to do, he manages to achieve. It's not enough for him. He needs to leave. He needs to go again. He needs to go to I think it's the is it the Cherokee Strip, you know, kind of stealing of further theft of land that he manages to to get his hands on as well. Like, and he's going there and he comes back and he's been shooting people and he's and then he and then he, and then he comes and completely embarrasses and humiliates his wife by uh defending rightly probably but still defending this the you know the, the the woman who stole the land from me in the beginning and you're like ugh, like the the virtue the virtuosity of this of this of this of this guy is just wild and i i really it's hard to like him isn't it you don't think it's hard to like him yeah and because the movie's not overly concerned with kind of putting the work in so that you like him um yeah it's. I did like bits, and I liked some. Right, of the I want. I, I want, like some of the old. I want, like some of the old person. I want three things. things production, from you. I love three the production things. generally. I think that I think the look of this movie is really cool. It's kind of like peak, epic Hollywood movie where we don't we can't do this on a soundstage with green screen because that doesn't exist yet. So what we're going to have to do is pay a load of probably migrant workers um to build like horribly ramshackle which is why the old west always looks like and it was always looks like it's built out of um mdf and um you know cardboard because it is um because it's in our back lot in california somewhere where they've just it's, built this town and yeah. i really like the look of that there's something tangible about that it's the same with all the extras and the real fitting clothes it kind of like it Regardless of what else you're doing, it's you've got five thousand people in 1931 are on screen a lot of the time. You know, a lot of the times, hundreds of people on screen, and that's really cool in a way that a lot of movies now. It's obviously post COVID even worse, but it's it's more it's much more difficult to get that number of people in one place where there's nothing else, and we can just have them be in a film and the cost and things like that. It's I'm sure a lot of these people weren't paid a living wage in any 
real sense of the word. No, but 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 those but those those shots where we do get to see the scale, like the, the town, which which again RKO Pictures built, has like it's like a three block town. It had a you know had the the church, although the the tent that they go in, it had the tavern, and they they gradually build on this. Like the production is amazing, it is incredible, and it's a scale that you think, wow, labor laws prevent things like this happening now in a good way because. Somebody, everyone was getting fucked, presumably by by this. You know, I think it, how much did it cost the movie? Million it didn't make its budget. And a half, maybe Something it had like a box off. Yeah, box office of one three, one point three million, and it, a budget of one four. So I think only after re-release later in the decade did it actually make its money back. And you can see the cost of this, and it and it, it almost it almost if you look ahead to the nineteen. Um, 40s and 50s you see the model of those epic movies that come from the big sets and the and, and the scale of, of of the actors and you can see the money this is what i love as well like you watch um and this is a poor example but you watch a movie like titanic um which at the time was the most expensive film ever made um and you look at that and, and even compared to something like that in this movie, you can see where the money's been spent. The money is being spent on getting bodies in, on building these sets in this back lot, which doesn't yeah. look a lot like Oklahoma. It looks a lot like California, but it's fine because we're just going to splash money on that. We're not going to pay the stars loads. There's no technical budget. Um, I wonder how much they spent on horses because that was the second thing I really liked, and it's to do with the production design. So um, many horses. Obviously, animal rights are important. Um, this isn't quite as bad as that um, Charge of the Light Brigade film, which um, you know, where they were tripping really them up. We're yeah. going to kill seventy-five horses for a laugh. <laughs> it doesn't seem that bad, but it's kind of like when we were watching the Misfits. Um, it's kind of cool to see, like you don't because horse is so it's so expensive and difficult to have. A lot of horses, a lot of animals, generally on a production nowadays, and because it's cheaper to do it with CG, largely when you're looking at an animal on screen nowadays, there's no animal there. It's fine. We've, we've, we, that's by the by. So it's really cool to just see all the horses around. I think it really adds to the flavor of the movie. The fact that everyone's riding around on horses, um, Richard Dix especially, is always getting on or off a horse, um, riding horses about. The guy, um, the kid, falls off a horse when he gets shot. Which is a great, really low key stunt that he absolutely could have died from. Oh, um, no. it's terrifying. It's just, those, isn't but it, it adds really that. All, that is what makes this feel like the old west. I think the look of the movie and the feel of the movie is really good. It's just a shame there's no narrative in between. But the bits and, and the trains later on and the cars, I think all of that absolutely bangs. It, I, I think it really, really works. Um, yeah, which is why it's such a shame that this is such a poor story. And it it's so tantalising. Let's let's. We could maybe get our, you know, we're going to keep ragging on this movie, but one more thing. And it's like, it's the ta- it's how tantalizing this movie is for me. That's the thing that really, really, that really is like, oh, wow. And this, the, 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 the cut when we, because, you know, we, we see the eras and we're in like 1870. Um, oh, sorry, no, not 1870, 1907 is when um, oil is discovered. And I'm reading at the moment because I'm a really cool, cool person. I'm reading a book about um, oil, the history of oil, and like so straight away I was like, "Wow, I know about this. This is I'm, I, let's do it. Let's go. Let's get. Let's dive into this fantastic." Just watch There Will Be Blood again. That's fine. I, I love There Will Be Blood. Oh, what a film that is! 
and I'm thinking, brilliant, like, let's explore it. And, and there's nothing. There's, you know, we're not, again, the movie's not interested in actually exploring what's happening to this town because oil's now going on. We get, a, you know, we get a couple of lines, small lines about how uh, we've got, we've got a, a, a lower burning gasoline, you know, which, which is a reference to the fact that gasoline is, was, was literally dumped into rivers because it was too explosive uh, to use for lighting in houses. You couldn't use it because it would just fucking blow up all the time because it will spark, at, you know, whatever it is. Whereas kerosene, which is, you know, a, a diff oil, it's uh, distillated from oil in a different way, was great. And so when they're saying, so they're, again, there's enough research here. They kind of know what they're doing. And then we're just It's just they then pick the least interesting route. Um, which the last is thing Richard I want to talk about. The last thing I want to talk about is um, is done again. Uh, just in terms of the, the 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 end where she becomes a congresswoman, I think is quite a nice sort of like. Mm. It's not quite. Mm -hmm. They don't nail it, but it's. I don't need no man. Um, do you want to guess? This is this is uh, just a just a little quick question. Do you want to guess how many congresswomen there were um, in the? I'm not talking about in eighty in 1907 when this is taking place or whenever i'm talking about in 1931 how many Cong u.s congresswomen had there been in 1931 i know the first one was in like 19 there, ha there had been congresswomen Plural. yeah the first one was in like 1918 was it maybe something like that like just after the first world war i think um so yeah, i'm gonna then. guess i'm gonna guess that uh, in 1931, there were two. Ten. There were ten. Ten. There had been ten. Yeah. So there'd been ten. So there'd been ten up to that point, or there'd been, there were ten serving. There, were, there had been ten. Right. Um, not a lot of the women who served prior to this and for a while afterwards served more than one term or served for very, or were re-elected or some of them didn't even serve a full term, presumably because Congress was full of disgusting, horrible men who treated them like shit. Yeah. Um, interestingly, the, the the woman who um, one of the first women to be congresswoman actually dropped out in. She resigned in nineteen seventeen or nineteen eighteen to run for uh, as a presidential candidate. Um, wow. She didn't win. She didn't win the ballot to become the candidate. Um, but that's interesting. I thought. The, so the first woman is was Jeanette Rankin, who was born in nineteen eighty eight. Sorry, eight. 1880 and died in 1973. Uh, the first woman to hold federal office in the United States in the U.S. House of Representatives. That's incredible. In 1916, so that's amazing. The only she was a sole member in Congress to vote against the Declaration of War of Japan, and a suffragist. Fantastic! What a woman! I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? That's your nighttime reading for Wikipedia, right there. It's a really good, um, hefty Wikipedia page as well. Let's, yeah, um, Let's go. I'm hoping. I'm hoping this is one of the worst, best pictures. I was looking because you said it's quite frequently. I couldn't find a list where this was in the top five. Maybe it, um, it's it's really disparate. But it's in the I top. It's, it's consistently in the top ten of worst, best pictures. Yeah. I think it it benefits from the fact that it's ninety two years ago. So therefore, there's like there's a recency bias. I think Crash from two thousand and six is the yeah. best picture which i think always tops the worst best pictures dances with wolves also comes quite high a lot of the time 
Um, again, because I think it's not aged very well, but there's a definitely a recency bias because I think I'm not going to say this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen because I've seen things like Scary Movie, but um, it's certainly one of the more forgettable movies I've ever seen. I don't think in three months I'll really remember much about this at all. No, and I think if not for doing this, you know, trawl through history that we're doing as as part of the all the, all the best pictures, we wouldn't have watched this. We wouldn't have even Why would considered. You? Who could care? And and you know what, listener, if you've got through. If you've got through this and you're still... I mean, what are you doing with yourself? Like, unless you've watched I mean, this movie. Even more than anyone, any other episode. We do it all quite on the Western Front. We always joke that the only people listening to this are me and you, probably. Um, and then... And even that's iffy. Uh, and then it's week. like two to three PhD students who are just looking to re- hear about a film on the train so they don't have to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know what? That's fine. We we love you. We respect you. Thanks for your service. So, okay, right. Let's uh, let's let's try and let's try and claw some fucking entertainment out of this then, and let's do the semi-relevant quiz. Yes, that music can mean only one thing. It's the semi semi-relevant movie quiz. The quiz where we try and stump each other with stupid questions that are kind of about 1931's Cimarron. We've got three questions. Oh no, I've got two questions actually because this was hard. I've got three. And well done, Dave. And whoever gets the most questions right wins a giant statue to make up for a life of leaving your family to fend for themselves in the harsh Oklahoman wilderness. <laughs> it's good pause. So, One of my favourite bits is you is the prize. Uh, you could have just gone with the speedboat every time, like Bullseye. Um, but I, I respect the game. Um, who's yeah, going no, first, I'm, Sam? Who do you want to go first? I, I'm going to go first, and you're going to win because I just I couldn't. I, I think. Well, then that questions. sets the bar because if I get both of these right, then you can only get it can only be a draw. I'm okay. You're not going to win by a technicality here. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so question one: Cimarron was RKO Pictures' first Oscar win, which is going to be four of them, but that's fine. Years later, the studio would controversially be sold by Howard Hughes to which of the following companies? Is it A, the General Tire and Rubber Company, B, the Walt Disney Company, or C, the Philip Morris Cigarette Company? I don't don't know this at all. (laughs) I mean... Right, Disney, definitely a real company. Got you. Um, The Morris Electric Company... They're, they're all, all real, real companies. They're all real companies. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to. What year? Did, we, can you tell me what year this happened? What year this uh, uh, sale went through? 1950 something. Cool. That, that's was, enough. Was, enough in the 50s. Yeah. In the 50s, so, it's a good time for Disney. Um, well, Howard Hughes. Disney's quite early on, and yeah. Howard Hughes basically was he 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 at this stage in his crazy life starting to deteriorate slightly he'd bought RKO pictures a while back and was trying to um kind of secure control of it and somebody basically said absolutely not so he he decided to sell the company in spite uh <laughs> to, to prevent the uh, this person from from having any control whatsoever and so i think right. they left with like a few million dollars yeah. and that was it so uh, he was he I, was offloading okay. it Okay, it wasn't Disney then. Uh, also, because I don't think any, I know some RKO material, and I don't, and it would be on Disney Plus basically. If if Disney owned this, then they would. It, they're old enough where they Good would logic. have a, 
they would have a, they, you know the, the howard hughes the big howard hughes movie would be on it would be on disney yeah. plus mm-hmm. uh and it's not because it definitely would have recommended it to me because i'm definitely in that category of loser that's right Nerd. desperate housewives 30s howard hughes movies american dad that's it yeah. um what were the other ones so it was the morris cigarette the, company the, the, Mor- the philip morris cigarette company or the general tire and rubber company This is a, this is this is a. I think it's the General Tire and Rubber Company. Okay, why? Um, I just got a gut feeling that um, that could be the cigarette company, but I just don't think it's the cigarette company. I think the cigarette companies they're not looking to diversify from what they weren't looking to diversify in the fifties from cigarettes because cigarettes were up, 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 <laughs> banging, smoking, smoking. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Correct. Well done. The General Tie and Rubber Company also owned an aerospace uh, outfit and a range of radio stations. And they, uh, I think they they sold all of they sold sold loads of assets and eventually sold the company sold RKO um, off not that long afterwards. So there we go. Not the most uh, bountiful purchase we've ever seen. <laughs> so let's go to question two. Irene Dunn, who plays Sabra Kravitz in this uh, movie, was nominated for an Oscar five times, but never managed to clinch a win. Which one of these three other actors has also been nominated, but never won an Oscar? A. Julia Roberts. B. Laurence Olivier. Or C. Glenn Close. That's a good multiple choice. I know what I'm doing. This is why I only got two, because this took me fucking ages to get get these right. I feel like Julia Roberts is... Julia Roberts is a funny one, because that's the obvious, like, she's absolutely on that line. Like, you could almost call it the Julia Roberts line of, like, long, long career, long career in leading roles, wildly popular, made loads of money, doesn't appear in a lot of good movies. Um, and therefore, yeah. like, but then Glenn Close kind of similarly, maybe not not the the bomb of Roberts, but she's also appeared in a lot of movies that I would say would have been got her a nomination. Like your better quality of movies, um, not necessarily the win, maybe because because exactly cause the nomination. And Laurence Olivier feels like a trick question sort of answer where, God, I can't believe Laurence Olivier Olivier never won an Oscar. Um, and just to just this isn't a trick question where all three of these people got nominated <laughs> five times and never won. No, Oscar, I'm. Is it? I, listen, listen. I'm I just, being. I, I'm I being, just have to ask. I just have no, to. No, I'm being very fair with you. Very fair. Would never do that to you, Dave, unless it would be really funny. In which case, strap in. Well, no. What's happened though, according to the rules and the, the moral rules, because I'm a white man, therefore I set the moral rules. That's what all movies tell us. <laughs> is that. Is that because I've asked you outright if that's the case? Because that would be my whether that would be where I'd lean. Is that that's the answer? It's a trick question. Because no, I've asked you, it's fine. No bullshit. No, no trick okay. question. I promise. I promise. On our, on our I can't think of loads of Glenn Close. Um, there's that movie. Is it Glenn Close where she's? It's she's um, she's a bunny, but she literally burns boils a bunny. Um, that feels like it might have been a terrible movie. Um, yeah, Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. I don't know if that's maybe. sort of Oscar buzzy movie. Maybe. Right, I need um, an answer. Come on. I'm just going to go with Julia Roberts. This feels like the safe place. Julia Roberts. 
Julia Roberts is... Incorrect. It was Glenn Close. Son of a bitch. I know, it's very disappointing. So, Julia Roberts has four nominations and one win for Erin Brockovich. Fucking Erin Brockovich. That's the one where I was like, that either got no Oscar buzz or fucking all of it. Yeah, it did it. We should do that movie because I bet that is the most boring, trite piece of trash you've ever seen. I I, I, absolutely, let's do it. Uh, Lawrence Olivier, 10 nominations and only one win for 1948's Hamlet, which is interesting. And Glenn Close, eight nominations as recently as 2020, but no wins yet. So that's a pretty... Justice for Glenn Close. Smattering of applause for Glenn Close and for you, Dave. So that's (laughs) one point, and I look forward to trouncing you once again. Let's do it. Right, well, I'm excited. So my three questions. Um, I'd like to dig a bit bit deep here. Um, So this is a Western movie. Um... And who's our favourite Western star that we're always giving shit to? That's right, John Wayne. Howdy, Pilgrim. Um, It's unclear whether he ever actually said that or if it's just something that we and American Dad say. (laughs) Uh, John Wayne was an amazingly prolific actor. He is maybe the actor who represents Westerns because he was in so many of them. How many Westerns did John Wayne appear in? Was it A, 43, B, 80? Or C, one hundred and forty-five. Oh my god! What a range! What a range we're going from here. I mean, I, I would, you know, if someone said to me that John Wayne has been in forty-three, eighty, or one hundred and forty-five westerns, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I believe every single one of them. Like, there's, n- <laughs> there's not an answer there that that makes me go, nah. I mean, one hundred and forty-five seems like a lot. That seems like that's a lot of movies just westerns like his entire career could be 145 was just westerns in fairness so name I, a non-western I, john wayne film right now i'll wait uh I that's right I, yeah. <laughs> so i'm well on that basis so i'm going to discount 145 i'm going to say that's too many movies for that's that's, that's a career worth of movies and Maybe a Western, not just Westerns. So that leaves me with 80, 43. The round number of 80, I'm suspicious of, just because that seems a little bit... If that had been 81 or 79, I'm feeling, mm, maybe, maybe, but that's so... But then 8, 43. He did do a lot of Westerns, a lot of trash, especially later on. Okay, judgment call. I'm going to go 43. Oh my god! It was eighty. I thought. Do you know what? I thought I'd get you with this because god I thought the same. I was like, as if it's eighty even. Um, and this was according to the list. There were several lists I saw. Uh, the one four five I put in because there was one that said he. I think he did. You are absolutely bang on. About one hundred and forty, one hundred and fifty movies. Like that is a career and a, and a his... big career worth of movies. Yeah. I should say. Um, there was an actor, I can't remember his name. You'd recognise him, obviously, but he was in 230 Westerns or something, but like never as a leading man. I think John Wayne was a leading man, so much of it. Uh, but yeah, 80 Westerns, which I thought was a phenomenally large number. You know, I, I went I went for the I went for the, the answer that was like the safe one. I thought 143, that seems safe. If he'd, but if he'd done 145, then 80 of them being Westerns makes sense because that leaves, you know, 60-odd movies that he would have... 
that he would have done that weren't westerns, which seems about to try right. to not do more westerns. Yeah. God damn it! Um, right, next one. Uh, the next question is: So um, this film was made in 1931, which maths fans will know was 92 years ago. Um, as of recording. Which, which of the as we're recording as of now dating the podcast. Uh, which of the following three actors was not born in 1931? Okay. So we're looking for the odd one out. This ca- this one of these people was not born in the year of our One of them wasn't born in 1931. Hit me. Let's go. William Shatner. <laughs> wow. Gene Hackman. Wow. Or James Tolkien. So James, James Tolkien, Tolkien is the uh, principal from Back to the Future. And he's in a thousand other things. He's an is angrily he related, bald man. Is he related to uh, J.R. J.R.R. Tolkien? No, it's it's T O L K E N. Okay, right. Um, he's in all the Back to the Future films, um, and he was also in Masters of the Universe in a very similar role, as well as thousands of other things. He's a real that's guy. There were a few other people I could have picked um, to put in this series, but he feels like one of them. One of the people I could have picked. <laughs> I think you were pretty close to giving away the answer there, Dave, in your in your rambling. And I'm just you think I think you just have I given it away it. or I've muddied the waters. It's I, hard to I tell. Think you just about saved it. <laughs> he is one of the people who could be in this list. <laughs> right. Okay. So I know for a fact that Gene Hackman is. Number one, we've talked about it recently. He's still alive, and he's in his nineties. All three uh, of these people are still alive, by the way. Yes. So I think James Tolkien, I, maybe because his Wikipedia page potentially the, the news might not get out that he had passed. Straight away, yeah. Whereas the other two, so I think Gene Hackman, nineteen thirty-one, feels re- feels right to me. Um, so the the principal in Back to the Future, you say. I, I, could, I did not know who that was. I thought you were talking about the son of I really, I, I really did. I really did think you would know who that was. No, no. I, I don't know, know why, that. but James Tolkien is a name that I know. I always, I, I love seeing him in movies because he's always playing the same role and it's yeah. like angry, old, bald, short white man. Um, and it's fantastic. One so, of my favourite actors. Yeah. So I think, I think he's potentially... I think he's potentially 1931 material as well, just because of where he sits. He's like he's probably in his late 40s, 50s in uh, Back to the Future. So carry the noodle. It must be around. He must be around 90 odd now. He must be. Shatner, I think, is a little bit younger. Just a little bit. I think he's maybe like 37 or maybe 40. Like. So I'm going to say, God, I hope I fucking I'm going to kill myself if I got this wrong. I'm going to say William Shatner was not born in 1931. I feel bad about this one, Sam, because um, I feel like your methodology is really good, um, but is not really playing into the premise which I've got. So you're wrong. Um, oh, fuck off. William Shatner and James Tolkien were born in 1931. Gina Hackman Gene. was born in late 1930. <laughs> oh, fuck you. I was thinking, like, because I was looking at... Um, I was initially you going to... Here's, here's what I was going to do. Here's to explain this to you. I was you initially going to have actors who are 31 
Like, I was just happy they were 31. Except going down the list, I didn't know who any of them were. <laughs> it, it is a se- it is it's look, listen, it's a semi semi relevant movie quiz. It's in the title. Yeah. I understand. But um, fuck you. And oh, I was going ridiculous. to do, and I was going to test your knowledge because Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner were born in the same year. My initial question, which you wouldn't have known the answer to, was going to be who was born closest to the premiere of this film. Um, but that would have just been like literally looking on Wikipedia and knowing what month these people were born in. And there was like Gene Hackman is somebody who I always think of as older than he is. And I do the same thing with Shatner. I think Shatner is younger than, than he is because of all mm. the plastic surgery, basically. <laughs> and the fact that he hasn't disappeared from our TV screens. Um, he was in yeah, space. William, he was in William space. Shatner like was born in 1931. Um, as, was, as was Leonard Nimoy, but I thought that I might give it away because he might know that they were the same age. No, I didn't know that. He... Shatner was in space. Also, also 1931, I... Ian Holm, which I almost put. I decided not to put any dead people God. in there. You know the problem is, is that like, because of our... Like, when we, I just think of, of Ian Holm being... Ian Holm in forty-five, yeah, in in, in one of the sixties, or Ian Holm in Alien. I'm like, he's fucking dead. <laughs> like, he's... <laughs> and Gene Hackman well, should be trouble. dead. This, this is why it's a good question because what I should have done really is I should have picked an actor who stopped acting when they were in their forties, and then you would always think of them as that age. And that's something that obviously Shatner we're aware of how old he is. Hackman as well because he worked so late and is somehow still alive. Um, and also looked 50 when he was 20. Yeah. I think um, I do a massive fuck you to, to, to you, Dave, for tricking me with that 1930. And, uh, when was he born in 1930, exactly? Uh, Gene Hackman. Um, January 1930. So I guess it is a... It is, a full year almost you are right sam I, i'm trying to better myself what i should have done was picked an odd one out but then i really would have had to pick three people you kind of knew but not really it's tough otherwise it anyway. gives the game away so i'm zero for zero so if i can, <laughs> if i get this next question right then we tie uh which is Correct. probably cons- considering that i only had two questions is, you have a 33 percent chance of getting this answer correct otherwise so, you win. This movie was 124 minutes long, according to Wikipedia. And boy, did it feel all of its 124 <laughs> minutes long. Now, three other Westerns, according to Dave Research, have won the best picture. Right? The three movies are True Grit, Dances with Wolves, and No Country for Old Men. Right. One of these movies is shorter than Cimarron and the other three are longer <laughs> and the other two are longer which of these three movies I'll read them out again in a second which of these three movies was shorter than Cimarron oh my god so we god. have to be this fair in chronological so... order Dances with Wolves True Grit the newer one and No Country for Old Men I this think it's the newer a... one let me just check that yeah this is such an amazing question this is such a stretch and you have you know it perfectly typifies exactly what we're trying to do with this quiz format doesn't it because this is just exactly it's so barely relevant barely relevant right so one of these movies it is, true it gr- is the new it is the new true grit. the new not, not, so the, new true, not the yeah, john true. wayne one confusingly so 21st century true grit so 1990 nope. dances with wolves 2007 No Country for Old Men 2010 True Grit 
Okay. Okay, right. Well, I'm I, I'm going to go with our general theory that movies are getting longer. So, Dances with Wolves, I've not seen. We should probably do at some point if we, you know... Well, we will, because we will. it's the best picture. In about seven years, when we, when we get to this <laughs> one. Um, so that leaves... So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to discount that. I'm going to say straight away... Uh, it's not Dance of the Wolves. And then I'm going to go True Grit, No Country for Old Men. I've seen No Country for Old Men. I've not seen True Grit. Ooh, I do remember... Good. Yeah, I know. I, I do remember True... I do remember No Country for Old Men being, you know, hefty and worthy and lots to say. And But to be honest, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I'm going to say... For the tie to keep me in the game, no country from old men is longer than Cimarron. No, no, I'm not. That's not what I'm asking you for because two of them are longer. Oh, sorry, which one's shorter? Right, True Grit is shorter than. Correct. Cimarron. Yes. So, would you like to hear? Do you want to like to hear the times? So, like I said, Cimarron's 124 minutes. Um, True Grit is 110. The new 110. one, 2010 one. It's close. It's a re- it's a really good movie. It's a really really good movie. You should watch. Well, it. we'll get to it. We'll get to it eventually. Um, so, what was No Country for Old Men? No Country for Old Men was one two six, I think. One two six. So, so a bit close. Yeah, quite a, yeah, close. 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 Close again. Uh, Dances with Wolves. King. Well, I really hope we've. Um, faded from the podcast um by this time dances with wolves is three hours and 56 minutes long which which is 236 minutes 236 <laughs> minutes of kevin costner writing directing producing and doing the catering for for that movie wow yeah. so that's the end of the game we have a tie and we both leave with nothing or we can split the statue uh of the, the of of to, to make up for life what we thinking, a family my, to fend my head themselves. on your body your head on my body or we splitting straight down the middle like some kind of like St- sewn together straight, creation it is straight down the middle it's got to be it's got to be and it's because good thing we we're around s- the same height it will make it somewhat possible well and because we're two generic white guys we're going to just look exactly the same no one will be able to tell the difference <laughs> Because that's how it works. Yeah, the hair will just be curlier on one side. That's literally the only difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. It's fine. It's. Uh, I think it's a. It's a good place to be. So we have done it for fuck's sake. We've got well, through the this goddamn movie. Let's um, let's just um, remember the standing. So technically, and I do mean technically, uh, I'm ahead. Uh, we drew no, this you're week. Not. Shut up. We drew this week. I won last week because I made my questions impossible. <laughs> Oh, I won last week. I got them. No, I, I won, won last week because you didn't get oh, any you... of mine right because, oh, because I made give the me questions options. impossible. Exactly. Right. Absolutely now, not. That's why I'm saying, hear me out. Technically, so technically, I am ahead with one draw this week, one win last week, and technically, one win for Rushmore because I didn't make any questions. I think. Uh, which means that you didn't get any points, which means that technically I won. It's my favourite so joke. So the standings currently every... are David, 725 points. Sam, seven points. 
Okay. <laughs> I, I am going to get that. You're in it. You're still in verified. it. Because the points are imaginary, just like the podcast. Just like because the podcast. the points are imaginary, you're really in it, Sam. Because you, if you win next week, you can award yourself as many points as you would like. I'm, I'm going to award myself infinity plus one. Yes. <laughs> no playground Fuck rules you. here, Sam. Real numbers only. Fuck you. Right. Well, I think, Dave, I appreciate your goal. Uh, as much as it does pain me, I can't believe I fucking didn't get 143, 145. That's just going to annoy me. But we are done well, with this. We're not quite done. Just simmer the music down for one second. Simmered. Next time, just as a just as a little teaser, the next best picture we will be doing in the next six to eight weeks, I presume, is Grand Hotel. Which is a 1932. Who who are you teasing? Who, who, who's te- who's being teased? Because that doesn't sound good. Well, no, no, it doesn't sound here. good. It doesn't sound great. I'll I'll give you. But but starring Greta Garbo, not somebody I've seen in a film before. Big big golden age of Hollywood star, and John Barrymore. Nepotism. <laughs> I was really hoping. I was really really hoping that there was someone <laughs> in this movie, Cimarron, that we watched. Who went on to found an acting d- dynasty, and they're just yeah. I, I did look at this. It was a real shame because I was like, that'd be a great trivia question. Is is who who went on to found a nep- <laughs> nepotistic dynasty? And yeah. the answer was nobody. Next week, nobody. I think there'll be a few. The Lionel Barrymore's in it as well. All the bands, right? Well, I'm sorry, Dave. I appreciate this, but your music, just like the end of the Oscars, your speech is coming to an end. Please conclude. We're going to raise the music up. Louder and louder until you stop talking. This is the Mary Poppins music. Yeah, this is going to get us taken down from YouTube. Shit, go. 